Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, thank you for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet. Thank you for your word, which is a double-edged sword. Thank you for your word, which does not return void. We glorify your word, Father God, that it be a good seed that would be planted in good hearts that would produce good fruit, O God, a harvest that glorifies you. Lord, we have forgotten many times your attributes. We have forgotten many times your disposition. This morning, remind us who you are. Remind us, O God, where we're to move and how we're to move and how we're to conduct ourselves in this life. We pray, Father God, that you would be the centrality of our pursuit, that you would be the most precious in our devotion, that you, Father God, would be high and lifted up and that your train would fill the tremble, that we might see your glory in this place, O God, that it would cause us to turn from our wicked ways, that it would cause us not to walk in a manner that displeases you. And we pray, Father God, that you heal our hearts and that we might have an opportunity to repent and that we might see your face, O God, that you might be glorified in this place. We pray your blessing upon Spring of Life and its families. We pray your prosperity and your blessing as your word issues forth and that we obey your word and put it into our lives, not being hearers, but doers of what you speak this morning. Be glorified, Lord, that we might be receptive in our spirit and that nothing formed against us should prosper. Surround us, O God, with a hedge of thorns and protect this house. Cover us with the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. There's nothing more um, powerful than God trying to make his way into the center of your life. And, and we, we weren't, even as we were celebrating our 27th anniversary uh, this week, and, and uh, it's a matter of great and, and uh, uh, a joyful occasion, but we, we go to these places um, to, to have lunch. We went to a nice um, restaurant to have lunch, and then that night we would have dinner, and, and, and I, I think it's an occasion for celebration, but, but I look around the city, and, and we, we, don't, we don't frequent these places many times. Um, we stay around our neighborhood most of the time, so just to do something different, we went into the center of town and we're making observations of the surrounding peoples and we're like, man, we are strange and peculiar people making God the centerpiece of our lives. And as I look around this city, there's not many people that are walking in the fear of the Lord. There's not many people that make Jesus Christ their God. And, and I'm, I'm feeling like, wait a second, is it true that when, when the flood came and took everyone away except one family, would, would that be the, the case in our generation, that there's not many people that will attend to hearing the proclamation of, of God's move upon the earth? And so as I do, and ever since we started walking with God, um, one of the things that came out as a very as a very prominent point in, in this, let's just read it, uh, Exodus 20, verse 4.
You shall not make for yourselves any image and likeness of anything in heaven, on earth, beneath, or under the water, or under the earth. Verse 5. Nor shall you bow to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation, to those who hate me. Verse 6. But showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. This being the announcement and the introduction of God to his people, they, they had spent 400 years in Egypt without uh, the intimacy and the personal relationship that God would have with his people. And the very first thing that he tells them is he introduces his nature to those that he was leading and saying those words which are so powerful. For I am a jealous God. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Expecting complete, we, we don't know this until he starts dealing with different components and aspects of our life. Complete, exclusive, him alone devotion. Not halfway, not a little bit, not just Sunday. And so in this relationship, God describes himself as the one who is a jealous God. The, the word in Hebrew, the reason they come up with this jealous God is because it's the word that means taking upon a reddish texture in the face you can say don't put anything else in front of me because my tendency is to get aggressive the word jealous meaning you're about to see my disposition become wrathful and full of anger so I just want to say that, that that disposition has happened to me on occasion when you mess with my wife. That, that's what is described the same thing. They say that when a husband sees that someone is messing with his wife, the disposition of a serious, angry wrath is about to take place. And, and that, that that's only correlates to human expression but God is saying that there's an attribute in his character that he has when things are not in complete exclusive devotion and 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 I'm I've gotten to the place where I'm not going to apologize for who God is cuz he's God and some people say, well, God shouldn't be jealous. Well, I don't suggest that you mess with him in this area. Because he's talking about his disposition to not, and we'll read it here in Isaiah 42.8, I'm the Lord, that is my name, that's my character, 
My glory I will not share with another, nor praise to carved images. You could say idols. I'm not going to put up with other things in your life that are the expression of the things you made out to put above me. And so that has been mankind's disposition. And, and everyone in different sorts. You, you determine what an idol is. It's whatever you lift up in priority and pursuit in value above God. And for some of you, it's yourself. And God won't tolerate it. For others of you, it's money. And God won't tolerate it. For other of you, it's a car. Or it's a sport. Or it's whatever expression of the things that you pursue that have a devotion in your heart and a disposition in your emotions above God. We have several times throughout Scripture that we see the intensity of how God addresses these things. Start now in Joshua chapter 7, verse 13, where there's a man by the name of Achan. And this man decides in the middle of being God's people, in the middle of going forth in battle, he would capture different items and he would hide them as above the mandate of God for his house. One of them was a Babylonian uh, rug or garment. The other one was a wedge of gold. Um, whatever the manner was, he hid it under his tent. And he wasn't showing anybody. And as we sit here today, I'm not the type of pastor that's going to go and chase you down and put a private investigator to see where you spend your time, your money, and your pursuit. Because I know that while you consider it a burden to come to the house of God, you worship very excellently at the house of your grandchildren 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Because that is more important to you than the call of God. And while you might be hiding in some type of area, it might be a stock market, it could be you're hoarding money and you're not seeing, God sees everything. So he tells Joshua, there is sin in the camp. And he says like this, um, really powerful, he says, get up, sanctify the people and say, Separate yourselves for tomorrow. Get away from anything. This, this was a call. Throw away your idols. Because God is coming on the camp. The only people that know this, if, if you've ever served prison and they have, these, um, they have these search parties, they go through the whole, what are they called? Lockdown. We're going lockdown. Let's get all the junk out. And everybody starts throwing away all the stuff they have hidden. This is what, what's happening here in Joshua 7, 13. God says, lockdown. We're going to go through the camp and we're going to sit there and find out what's going on. Because he says this, as long as there's idols in the camp, in other words, as long as God is not God amongst his people, we're not going anywhere. He's going to fight our battles 
if he is our God. And he'll show up. But not if you bring out something. I don't know what I have down here. You know, you bring out, you say, this is, this is what's going to save me on the bad and rainy. That's not going to save you. Those God in front of God have eyes but do not see, have ears but do not hear, have a mouth, do not speak, have hands, do not fight, have feet, do not kick, do not walk, have teeth, they don't bite. But our God is a jealous God. And he says, sanctify yourselves tomorrow because thus says God, there is an accursed thing in your midst. There is something being held out as greater than me in your life. And so we did that. Uh, when we got saved, this, this is a, a powerful story. Jesus comes into our house and does a revolutionary revival. Everybody gets saved. Everybody's on fire. And then Jules, the youngest of the bunch, was about 14 years old. And he says, excuse me, there's one thing remains. And, and everybody's like, what do you mean what remains? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of booze sitting under that cabinet from our past life when we used to be impios. When we were an ungodly, motley crew, there's a lot of bottles of liquor. If you have liquor in your homes, raise your hand. Don't raise your hand now, right? There's an accursed thing. And Jules says, you guys don't know, but I've been drinking since I'm nine. Because I know where the stash is. Nobody knew. Because wherever there's like an accursed thing, it's destroying your lives. And you don't even know it. And you think it's not there. But God says there's an accursed thing in your midst. There's something that doesn't jive. There's something that doesn't concord with me being the God of the camp. While you have idols... You have things that are, are more important, of more value than me. And so he says, here, O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away that accursed thing from among you. And, and their attitudes of the heart. And they're, you know, we don't hear messages like this in the 21st century anymore. Nobody's talking about God is a jealous God. That God wants the foremost expression of your devotion. And, and, and whatever that is, and, and how, God knows. God, the Lord knows all things, but, but everyone around us knows what our family's priority is. And what our pursuit and what we highly value and what's our devotion. And that speaks volumes. So here, as God calls him out in verse 19, finally the man shows up and he says, ah! Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give God the glory. Give glory to the Lord. Give the highest place in your life to God. And, and this is the man of God telling this man, Stop with your idolatry. Stop with you having something in your heart that deserves a higher place than the God 
Who's your God? Who's your Savior? Who is your deliverer? Quit making other things your resting place. I beg you, give God the glory. Make confession to him. Bring these things out. Bring, bring them out and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And, and you put it there. And, and okay, you're my God. That's what Joshua's telling him. Confess and bring these things out. And tell me what you have done. Do not hide it. Do not hide your devotion where you bow down, your utmost highest place. Verse 20, he says, And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God, and this is what I have done. So he proceeds to tell them. Verse 21, When I saw among the spoils, and, and this, this happens, as, as we're going along and God is giving us victories, we, we weren't going to have a marriage. Now we have kids. Now we have grandchildren. Now we have houses. Now we have things. Don't, don't let your heart go after that. It was God that brought you all that. Don't, don't let your heart. That, that was one particular place in my life, which was my law career. As it says, after 10 years of becoming a lawyer, a lot of study, a lot of suffering, I, I, I had a huge, you know, expression of glory. And when the Lord says, it's time to give it back, I said, I can't say no to God. I didn't know how to read or write before I became a lawyer. And now 10 years into my law practice, God is asking me to put away what was very big in my life. But that was only to show that God was still God and not my law practice and not making a lot of money. Because these things in our victories, they become huge. Okay, this is what's keeping me alive. No, God is, is, is keeping me alive. The God who made me a lawyer before anything was. So these things as we progress, he says, as we were taking, uh, we were among the spoils I saw a Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. And I desired them and took them. And there they are hidden in the dirt underneath my tent with the silver as the foundation. See, whatever crawls up into our lives that become more important than the God we serve becomes an issue. Listen, not to me. I, I, I rejoice when I see things happen, but I want to introduce you to this attribute of God's heart that he's not going to share his glory, that he's a jealous God. He turns red and, and he begins to vent a disposition. And you'll see it here, verse 22 having these things taken amongst the pl plunder, verse 22 says, so Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden with the silver under it, like he said. Verse 24, then Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Sarah, the silver garment, the wedge of gold, and his sons and his daughters and his ox and donkeys, his sheep, his tent, all that he had, and they brought it to them 
to the valley of tears, the valley of acre. There, verse 25. Then Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Verse 26. And they raised over him a great heap of stones still there to this day. So the, the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, that, that, that disposition of, of jealousy, that disposition of, I'm not happy with my people when they have idols in their lives. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Tears to this day. Um, I, I don't know how to put in human terms what the Lord taught me ever since I got saved, that, that he's a jealous God. And that, that every time I've tried to put something up above him in importance and value and priority, um, he's come against it. Uh, first, obviously, with the warnings of that doesn't please me. I remember I was just like Joshua and Nick. I had just gotten out of law school, and I had an old rinky-dink car, my transportation to law school, old Honda. And I said, uh, I need to get an up, what's that called, an upgrade? And, and I saw a nice, sleek, Acura polo green leather interior. I said, I'm going to get this. Oh, this is great. I got a good price. And the Lord says, no. I bought it. I bought it. I bought that car, and I was like going downtown to my cases. I was going downtown to my trials. I was a brand new lawyer. I was just out for a couple of months, and I just passed the bar, and I bought this car, and every day for seven days, the Lord would tell me every morning, good morning, Joaquin. I said, good morning, Lord. He would say, I didn't give you this car. I said, yeah, but I got a good deal. It was, it was in my budget. He goes, yeah, but I didn't give it to you. Yeah, but look, I need a nice car, but I didn't give it to you. But my clients are going to enjoy it. And he says, I didn't give it to you. I sold that car the following week. I sold it. Because God is not going to allow you to put things into your life that he didn't give you. He says, he says I've never been stingy with you. I was like, Lord, you're, you're, you're working me hard. I've always been a gracious and good and abundant God to you. I was young. I, I was 27 years old. And I'm having these conversations with the Lord. Why? Not because I'm in some funny religion. It's because God is a jealous God. And he has this conversation with his people. So have you ever bought it? I sold it to one of my youth guys who needed a nice car. About a month later, somebody took a red light and totaled it. And it wasn't because it was an idol in your life. But it would have been horrible if that would have occasioned. But the scenario is this, that he's always spoken to me like this. I, I need to finish the story by saying a year later, a year later, a car would drive up in a flatbed tow truck to my law office. It was a white, pearl white Cadillac with leather interior with gold keys. And they gave it to me. Yes, yes. It's a beautiful, beautiful. And the Lord says, this is, this is me giving it to you. 
Because it's not that God doesn't want us to have things. He doesn't want things to have us. You can praise God right now and say God is good. God is a good God. And so I would enjoy that going down to the trial. I got the car the Lord gave me. I got the car. Because it feels good when you get rid of your idols and you don't have that, that tugging on your heart in the wrong direction. And these things easily come up on our hearts. Well, this was the le lesson that we see in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. At the end of God's dealing with us, after he's dealt with us, and we see that in this Nebuchadnezzar had lifted up his kingdom as an idol, he says at the end of seven years of, of being dealt, he, he was ousted from his kingdom. He was ousted from his place of honor. He was ousted from having prominence in the land. He says, after seven years, the Lord fixed my priorities. Do you rather the Lord fix your priorities this morning and agree with God than you having to be hurled out to some place without God's covering? At the end of this time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heavens and my understanding returned to me as he became like a brute beast. And I, I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is everlasting. An everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Verse 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one could restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Why, why does God move in this direction? Verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom and the honor and the splendor returned to me. My counselors, my noblemen resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Everything that he had lifted up as an idol above God was returned to him when he put God in the rightful place. When God was at the top of the centrality of his devotion and pursuit, then all things returned in a glorious manner. What, what does that allow us to do? When God is put at the top of all things, verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, am able to praise and exalt the Lord and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways are justice. And those who walk in pride, he's able to bring down. He's able to deal in a manner which is not to the liking of many when he begins to move in his red disposition. Psalm 78, 58, it says it again. The, his own people provoked him to anger. They, 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 they sparked the, the, the gunpowder, the power keg with their high places. They provoked him to the jealousy, the results from having things in high places, uh, higher pursuit, higher priorities, and move him to what? To jealousy. 
with the images that they made up with their hands, with, with those things that they brought before him. Um, verse 50, I'm going to read it in the Amplified, and moved him to jealousy with their carved images by denying him the love, worship, and obedience that is rightfully and, un, and uniquely his. There, there is something that, for whatever reason, some of us cannot fathom that God pursues this territory in 1 Corinthians 10:22 Paul warns the the Corinthian church he says you don't want to provoke the Lord to jealousy but some people think that the Old Testament God stopped having this disposition in the New Testament yet we see throughout the New Testament that Paul is writing these things, warning the church. And the question is, do we want to provoke the Lord to jealousy? The answer is no. And then watch this. He says, are we stronger than him? And the answer is no either. So there's no manner of possibility that, that one, God stopped being a jealous God, um, Again, because we don't use it in its rightful term, we think it not glorious or godly to act with jealousy. But remember what we're saying here today, that the jealousy we're talking about is not the demonic jealousy of a husband that checks his, his wife's speedometer, checking her phone, treating her with suspicion, that's, that's demonic. That's not what God is talking about. He is. He's a God that moves on behalf of a, of a jurisdiction or geographical place that tries to take some credit for who he is. That's what we're talking about. Um, other gods share. Have, have you ever seen... A Cuban altar, you have Santa Barbara, San Lázaro, you have La Virgen de la Caridad, you have all these idols, and they all share the candles and the pennies and the tobacco, San Lázaro. But God says, I'm not going to share nothing. I'm not going to share, not even the least bit. And, and I want to add to this, when I see certain people enter into this realm and they, 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 they're in the folly of not taking it serious, I begin to shake for them. I begin to be concerned that I see a drifting of priorities and pursuits and devotion that is like saying, God, you're not as important as this. And I'm like, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Don't do that. When, when you see somebody saying, yeah, God is, God is over here, but, but this right now is on the front burner, and I'm, I'm paying attention to this, I'm like, you're, you're in trouble. You just, you just went in a direction that's not good for you. And, and this is what Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing the, the disposition 
that there are certain things that God enjoys and he's like, ah, this is refreshing. I love the aroma of the praises of my people and God is good and there's nothing happening. But this area, Paul is saying, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are you guys want to move in that direction? Do you think you're going to be stronger and going to be able to put up with this? Look what he's talking about in verse 14. He's asking this question because the people are moving in the wrong direction. In verse 14, he says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. The reason he says, are we going to provoke him to jealousy? Are we stronger than him? Is because he's trying to get them to get whatever is prominent on your altar, get it off of there. Because all you're doing is summoning God's wrathful disposition. They provoked him to wrath. And so he says, flee these things. Um, Obviously, the Amplified, a little bit more Amplified, says, therefore, my brethren, run and keep far, far away from any sort of idolatry. And that includes loving anything more than God or participating in anything that leads to sin that eventually all it does is enslave the soul. Because that's what idols do. It's a trap. It leads you in a direction that, that there's no liberty. Again, leading up to this statement in verse 14 is the previous verses, verse 5, where he says, remember what happened to the people of Israel. God was not well pleased with most of them, for they were scattered along the grounds in the wilderness because of their lack of self-control led to disobedience, which led to death. He says, I'm giving you a a warning based on God's previous disposition towards these matters. In verse 6, he says, these things took place as warnings and admonition for examples to us so that we not go after evil things as they did. And that's where he gets into what these evil things were in verse 11. These things happened to them as an example and warning to us, for they, they, they were written for our instruction to admonish and equip us, whom the end of the ages have come, the last days. Verse 12, therefore, let the one who thinks he stands firm and is not tempted by these things not be overconfident and self-righteous. Take care lest he fall into these types of sin. And so this morning, I, I believe God would have me bring these elements of our life for him. He says in Ezekiel 39, 25, Therefore thus says the Lord, now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob, and I will, be, I will have mercy upon the house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. Ezekiel 39, 25. I will be jealous for my holy name, demanding what is rightfully and uniquely mine. Um, Everything that God has done in our lives is a trophy of his grace. We have no right to move in another direction than to the fulfillment of the call of God. 
uh, we're not ourselves to make decisions where we are, what we do, how we come, how we go. All these are matters of God's disposition. And every time the people would lift up an idol, God was there to address it in a mighty way. 1 Kings 19.14, he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God. This is Elijah. I, I, I want people to treat God with the deference he's due because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and down, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. So the disposition even back in the old days is people preserving the, the sanctity of what belonged to God and people that were tearing it down like if it wasn't important. And obviously these things were done in a manner of provoking the wrath of God. And every time it happened, God would show up. God would show up and he would, he would pour out evidence of his disposition. Here in Philippians 1.20, Paul is talking in this regard also, just like Elijah saying, I'm going to take on the jealousy of God. Paul says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Let my body show that God is foremost in my existence. Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Everything I'm going to do is an expression that God is on the highest point in my life. And then he turns around in 2 Corinthians 11.2 saying the same way that God is jealous for me, I'm jealous for you. Verse 2, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. What's that mean? Any pastor will tell you that if God restored your marriage, that marriage belongs to God. If God blessed you financially, that financial blessing belongs to God. He's, he, he allows us to enjoy his work in our midst. He doesn't allow us to kidnap his work and become an idol and at the forefront of what we bow down to. I, 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 don't, I don't find there to be a problem being a lawyer, and not every lawyer that becomes a lawyer has to give up his law practice. But I'll tell you what. Doing that and keeping God central in my life as my highest pursuit and devotion has allowed me to be free unto other things. I've been able to, to have greater expressions of prosperity, greater expressions to pursue the call of God in my life on this side of eternity. In other words, nothing has me captive but God. I'm free to, to serve the God who has decided to bless me and to prosper me. And so that's the issue with idols. And Paul says, I'm the same way that God is jealous. Remember, get red in the face, jealous, wrath. 
That's the same way I get when I see that you're sharing your devotion and pursuit with other things that have not been God in your life. That have not showered you with the promises that you've seen fulfilled in your heart, in your family, in your lineage. For I have betrothed you. You belong to him as he's your husband and that you're his chaste virgin. You're his wife. And I'm scared. Verse 3, he says that just like the devil was able to mess this up in Eve by his craftiness. Look how the devil introduces Eve to a fruit that would make her wise like God. And it was attractive. There was something about it that caused her attention, but she traded the created thing, the creator for the created thing. For the, the one that created all that they were enjoying, she went in after lifting that above her pursuit and priority and offered it to her husband. And that way your mind become corrupted and you now become complicated trying to fix your life and put it together from the simplicity that is in Christ. This to say that this morning God is speaking to his church in a manner that's consistent with the entire Bible. That he wants us in Colossians 3 verse 5 to put to death those things that are upon the earth that affect our walk. What are they? Fornication, uncleanness, pornography, passion, evil desire, covetousness. All these things are the fruit of idolatry. What is that? Putting things above God. We enjoy all things, but God is above all things. We enjoy prosperity and success. We enjoy family, but we're not going to put family above God. Let it by no means ever take place that God has healed our family that we now might hold it up as an idol. In this regard, Isaiah 44 verse 9 tells us what we become when idols in our life. We lose the blessing of God. We lose the power of God. Those who make an idol are like the idols, useless. And their precious things shall not profit. The things that you hold up there they are their own witness. They neither see nor know. They may be ashamed. They, they don't understand the manner in which they're walking. Verse 10, those who fashion these idols, those who form and mold these images that profit him nothing. There's no reason why you lift these things up and have them in a place that's secret in devotion. Verse 11. Surely all his companions would be ashamed. And the workmen, they are mere men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear. They shall be ashamed together. They're moving in a direction that, that is going to have a confrontation with a God 
who does not share his glory. Verse 12. The blacksmith with his tongs works one in the coals, fashions it with hammers, and works it with the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry and strengthens fa- his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. Verse 13. The craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks out with a chalk. He fashions it with a plane. He makes it out with a compass and makes it like the figure of a man according to the beauty of a man and it may remain in the house. It takes up a place in the home that has some serious, serious consequences and implications. Leviticus 19.4, do not turn to idols or make for yourself gods of these metals, for I am the Lord your God. I am the God who stands here in a manner that demands the devotion that he's worthy of. So I want to conclude today by asking the church to understand this disposition of God. That as you navigate in the incredible calling that God has in our lifetime, and it's going to be all manner of stuff. Uh, I'm praying that when I have a grandchild, he doesn't sit as Buddha, object of my worship. And I tell you guys, sorry, I got to go because I have a little one waiting for me. Let's stand this morning and ask God for mercy. I believe God has been faithful to share his heart. I believe that we're to be faithful responding. I've seen it happen again. I've been all over Central and South America grabbing these things that people call idols and throwing them in the trash. Making them what they're not in regards of removing them from the high places. Put, put things in their rightful place. Uh, I think that when you don't have the spirit of God, then the inordinate stuff happens. Uh, some women idolatrize their husbands. Some husbands idolatrize their wives. Let, let's bring everything down. Let's, let's call lockdown. Let, let's get everything that's hidden and, and, and bring a repentance in a manner that, that then a time of refreshing. Uh, A man asked me this week, do you think things are going to go well with me? And he he has a lot of issues that are confronting him in this season. And I said, yeah, I think if you repent, it's going to go well. And he goes, there you go again. I go, no, I'm just being biblical. Acts 3.19 says, repent, so times of refreshing will come. See how you you deal with not hiding your idol, not fighting God, not arguing with me on this sermon, this message of God towards your life, but repent and turn that your sins might be blotted out and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And he says, what if I don't repent? I said, it's not going to go well with you. I can almost assure that if there's no, if you don't find a place for repentance, that, that, after God has spoken this word, now he'll move in the direction of his red disposition. Take your children off the idol altar. 
Take your grandchildren off your idol altar. God is God, and he alone deserves our praise and the glory. Father, we thank you this morning. There are things that creep up in our lives unbeknownst to us, Lord, that are more attractive, that draw the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life into our hearts, into our homes. For children see the objects of the worship of their parents, where they spend more time, where they spend more money, where they adhere and bow down more frequently. Father, allow us to repent and to turn from our wicked ways, for you alone deserve our glory. You alone deserve, oh God, our worship and our celebration, our pursuit and our priority. Take the center place in our lives. Take the prominent place. Take the preeminent place, the prominent place. We pray, Father God, that you would be sovereign and our focus and our devotion would be upon you and only you. For you're a jealous God visiting the disposition of iniquity in the hearts of men to the third and fourth generation. And still these days in the New Testament, you continue to be the same God. You continue to demand the same glory. We pray in Jesus' name that we can move in wisdom in a manner that brings a fragrance to you, Lord. Not a stench in your nostrils. Not a disposition of anger and wrath provoking you to show forth that you're a jealous God. Allow us to escape any consequence to private devotion and foreign gods, idols, and carved images we've made up in our own hearts. And we celebrate in our conversations, in our homes, greater than you. We pray that you would have mercy, that we would find this place. In Jesus' name we pray. And the house of God says, amen, amen, and amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord. We'll see you tomorrow night. If you're a man, 8 o'clock, God bless you.